0: How's it going everybody? And welcome back to the Flying Solo Podcast. Today, we're gonna be talking about box lacrosse, which is one of my passions. I love box lacrosse. I'm actually obsessed with box lacrosse. I love to watch it. I'll watch box lacrosse anytime it's on. I love going to Mammoth Games. I live in Colorado and man, it is so fun to watch that level of skill love to learn about box lacrosse i love talking to box lacrosse players and coaches studying it i used to love to play it don't do that anymore but box is so much fun and i think everybody who has ever played the game absolutely loves it the skill level is insane there's no other way to put it if you don't really follow box start following on instagram and on twitter start following players in the nll start following these teams start watching the highlights it will absolutely blow your mind what these players can do and it's routine for them they do it game in and game out the passing the handles the deception the precision the deception it's honestly it's it's insane and and we really need to study it we need to watch it the trickle-down effect is that everything that ends up happening in box ends up happening. The trickle down effect is everything that happens in box will end up happening in field. It just takes a little while. It's funny, I was just watching this show, this this on YouTube, The War on the Floor. It was like a documentary produced back in like 2003 about the Toronto Rock and their dynasty winning championships, three championships between 1999 and 2003. And they were not only breaking down this championship run, but also the great players of that era, like the Gate brothers and John Tavares and John Grant Jr., a young John Grant Jr. and Josh Sanderson and Colin Doyle. The the list goes on and on with these players that some most of you probably haven't heard of, but it's pretty mind blowing to watch the skill level from 20 years ago. It is so high there's things going on 20 years ago that you're not seeing in field lacrosse now and but you are seeing it in minor box lacrosse so this whole this whole podcast is all about box um, and is going to be talking about the benefits and some of the truths and myths and some of the uh, my experiences with it Um, first of all let's start off with some statistics okay so a friend of mine named mike mobison who's done i've done a couple podcasts and webinars with he's a financial analyst and strategist he's an author and adjunct professor at columbia business school and he's also in his part-time in his spare time he's a lacrosse analytics guy he, he loves sports analytics and he charted shots taken from us and canadian shooters over the 10 over the last 10 plus years consistently Canadian box players and Native American box players have shot at 34% and change. And consistently, Americans have shot at 28% and change. That's a 21% difference in shooting percentage. It's massive. And like Mike said in the podcast, he said, "In in any other sport, if there was a population that shot 20% better than another population, they would be studying it. They would be doing it, but it is the box lacrosse environment that helps Canadians shoot at a higher percentage. And we're going to talk more about why later. How about national teams? Two out of the last four world championships. Canadians have won two and the United States has won two. And what's important about this is just that there are so many more players in the United States. You know, there's, around 750,000 players in the US, maybe a million. The number's always going up. In Canada, there's 50,000 to 100,000. There's five to 10 times more players in the US playing than in Canada. And by the way, 12 of the top 25 all-time goal scorers in division one men's lacrosse history were Canadian or Native American box lacrosse players. And it's 14 if, if you count a couple Americans that played box. 12 of the top 25 all time. And let's remember this, less than 5% of the Division I population have been Canadian or Native American box players. It's a tiny percentage, and they're scoring. They're leading their teams in scoring, you know, on every team they're on. So. I want to talk about a little bit about my experiences with box lacrosse. My first experience was playing against the Gate Brothers and then Tom Marichek. I remember in 1988 um, when I was at Brown, Dom decided it'd be a good idea to take the team up on a Thursday night because we were playing at Cornell and we stayed in Syracuse on that Thursday night. So of course we went out to get a bite to eat and a couple sodas and uh, we saw the whole Syracuse lacrosse team out there and I ran into John Zalberti, and John sat there and said, Jamie, look at this, and he pointed at two fingers, his ring finger and his middle finger. He said, I'm going to have two rings, guaranteed. The Gate brothers are ridiculous. They are insane. There is no question we're winning two national championships, and I remember that conversation, and I remember going on to say, but you know what? They don't always feed me, so sometimes I actually, actually stand in front of the net, and I try to pick off their shots. So only Z could do that. is kind of a freak. Anyways, um, my next experience was with the Boston Blazers. I decided to play in the MILL. I tried out, made the team and played in the 1993 season while I was the assistant coach at Yale. And it was the most, one of the most impactful lacrosse experiences of my life. And I was a player and a coach at the time, which was a, a really powerful time of learning. And I just could not believe what box lacrosse in that one year that I played. What that did for my game and my IQ and my understanding. Now, fast forward to the University of Denver, and I uh, I went to a St. Catharines versus Orangeville game. My wife's from Buffalo, and I'd heard about these great Canadians from St. Catharines, which is right across the border from Buffalo. We were visiting the in-laws, so my father-in-law and I went up, and we watched a semifinal OLA semifinal playoff game. I don't remember which game it was, but it was. St. Catharines versus Orangeville. And I was so blown away. I was there to watch Craig Kahn and Sean Greenhall. Craig Kahn was a star. So was Greenhall. Greenhall went on to have an All-American career at Cornell. Greenhall went to UMass for a couple of years and was phenomenal while he lasted. Um, but I just could not believe the level of skill. And As it turns out, there were so many All-Pros and Hall of Famers, guys like Matt Vink the goal he's still playing to this day. Uh, Billy D Smith, uh, Mark Stainhouse and um, a 6'4 a lefty for Orangeville playing the top center on the power play. And I was like, man, that kid is incredible. And someone's like, oh yeah, he's going to Georgetown. He's a, he's a defenseman. And I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me? This guy's a defenseman. He could score like 40 goals a year easily. He's a freak of an athlete. He's got unbelievable skills. His name was Brody Merrill. And I didn't get either <laughs> Greenhall or con, but I did get a phone call or sorry, I got an email from Matt Brown. He um, said, dear coach Monroe, my name is Matt Brown. I'm a 17 year old, uh, played junior A, led the, red, led the uh, BC junior A in goals and hat tricks this year. Um, I'm interested in your school. And I ended up making a, creating a pipeline with the Burnaby Lakers and uh, Matt Brown. The rest is history. He's one of the finest, uh, know players denver in denver's history and also has become one of the finest offensive minds in the game who's really taken uh, the box lacrosse game and the field lacrosse game and molded it into his own and obviously everybody knows brownie uh phenomenal um but in recruiting a lot of canadians um and in developing and the fact that i'm just such a nerd about a student of the game box lacrosse began to just have such an impact on me and i I sent some players up to Canada. Mike Law, and Chad Whitman played for me in the early days at Denver. Mike Law, by the way, he made the U.S. team. He was a he was an All-Pro in both the MLL and the NLL. Um, Mike Law took box across, applied it to his game, and it was absolutely insane. Um, other guys like Mark Matthews and Jeremy Noble and Cam Flint are guys that I had recruited, and along the way, Jeff Snyder, who it's kind of known as a FOGO, but the guy was an incredible box cross player. Um, he could score goals, he could play offense, he could play defense, he could score. He was a third-team All-American and had like 35 points as well as averaging 13 ground balls a game um, in the 2006 season, which was our first season of making the NCAA tournament. Um, I remember in 06, after that season, um, Snyder went on to when the um, MVP of the world games, Canada knocked off the US uh, for the first time since 1978. And um, and SNOS was the MVP. And I remember at that time hearing that the Canadians had run a pairs type of an offense. And I'd never heard of this before. Instead of running triangles, they ran pairs. And that was really my first introduction to that. And um, I called uh, Chris Bates at the time at Drexel because he and I used to talk box lacrosse all the time. I remember driving home in University Boulevard sometime in August, 2006, and I'm like, hey, Batesy, what do you think about this idea? Everything, like I said, trickles down from box to field. Um, and it's, it's really incredible. Um, fast forwarding um, a little bit, my, as I told you, my in-laws are from Buffalo. And they had, um, at some point around, I don't know, 2004, 2005, they decided to spend their summers in Niagara on the Lake Ontario. And, um, I, and, and, around 2010, I said, Hey, Hey, Grandma and grandpa, what do you guys think about taking, uh, your grandson, Colin, and having him live with you up in Canada, and then we'll, we'll find a place for him to play box lacrosse. So they said, sure. And we figured it out. And so starting, um, at age 12, he live with grandma and grandpa went to sailing camp during the day and played, um, played for St. Catharines He played Peewee two years of Bantam and two years of Midget. And it was just the most transformational experience on, on so many levels, the whole culture, the way they, the way they are team first, the culture of the toughness. I remember being at a box cross game in, in, um, he was uh when he was 12 years old he was a peewee it was it was uh the first time my wife and i got a chance to go up and watch and i remember being like hey sir did that kid punch call and she was like uh yeah i think so (laughs) so it was kind of a funny introduction but but it was really it was really incredible um it was so incredible because it was a whole program and and, you know when you would watch you'd go to the wednesday night st catherine home games and, and and you'd get a chance to watch you know, you'd watch Mark Matthews play for Whippy or, or Mark Carkertan, or you'd you'd watch these guys that are that are all that are all that are, all these junior A guys are, are pros now. So, anyways, the other thing was he got to play for a guy named Sean Allen, who was the most incredible friend and coach and mentor for Colin, and and really became one of my best friends in the world too. If you, in fact, if you're looking for box lacrosse. Uh, programming get in touch with Shawnee Allen get in touch with me I'll hook you up with Shawnee best one of the best guys ever an unbelievable unbelievable coach unbelievable guy Uh, funniest guy on the planet too but as passionate about box lacrosse as anybody you'll ever meet but um but after that season um he ended up going out west we wanted him to play intermediate lacrosse which was a 17 and 18 year old league as a 17 year old playing junior A, didn't seem like the greatest thing to do uh, just because, you know, you don't really want your 17-year-old hanging out with 21-year-olds. Um, so you went out to British Columbia, played in Coquitlam, and then had the opportunity to play after that intermediate year, four years of junior A with the Coquitlam Adonacs, won a couple Minto Cups, actually became the first American uh, ever to win a Minto Cup championship. And, and the opportunity to, to all the way through those 10 years of, of summers and box across, I got to spend so much time up there and I learned so much. I met so many people. If you know me, I'm just always asking questions. I'm always looking, I'm always learning. Um, and man, it, it, it's sad, it's over. Um, it was just so much fun to to watch and to learn. And it's had such a, a strong impact on me. Um, such a strong impact that my daughters were like, hey dad, can we play box too? So for the last few summers, it was interrupted this summer by COVID. But for the last couple summers, we went up to niagara in the lake Ontario, and played girls' box lacrosse, um, which was absolutely uh, just an incredible experience. The girls love it. <laughs> seeing, um, seeing girls with um, uh, calf tattoos with uh, cross sticks and maple leaves was uh, pretty hardcore, and it was awesome. And these, these girls, um, they, they were physical. Let me just tell you, they would blow you up, and they would talk smack and it was pretty funny and it was a great experience for the girls um so my experiences have, have run pretty deep and um as a student of the game I've, I've kept looking at it but let's talk now a little bit about why the box lacrosse environment is so powerful i think everybody knows it's the tight confines but i think what everybody thinks is it's the boards and glass and that restriction of space that makes the t- the confines tight but But honestly i think it's because of the goal size so the goal size means that everything has to happen closer to the net that's what makes it tight it's like the late great dave huntley would say anything outside of you know around 12 yards is all noise on box it's probably more like nine yards and big goalies and small goals create an environment that have really been the most impactful thing for box lacrosse players. And it's why you see all these shooting percentages higher and all these goal scorers and all the IQ, because you have to get to the middle, period. Your stick has to be the middle, you have to get to the middle. And you find that it's actually easier to get to the middle without the ball than it is with the ball. And for that reason, box is more of an off-ball cutting, feeding game and picking game. And you can't just clear space and box the cross because there's not enough room. The way you create space is by bringing players together in two-man games. And then when you play all these two-man games, it just naturally teaches you how to play with other players and how to read other players. And frankly, the more contact, the more context there is, the more the offense can use that to their advantage, which is why three-man sides are so powerful they're they're complex they're actually pretty intuitive to do but they're very very powerful so in box you'll have a two-man side and a three-man side you'll either have two lefties and three righties or three lefties and two righties and with the small nets and the big goalies in these tight confines you you also have to learn how to shoot when you can't see the net there's a saying that they always talk about in box lacrosse where The imaginary eyes on your stick can see things that the eyes in your head cannot. And this is so true. Whether it's an overhand swing angle that actually gives you angle to shoot it over a goalie or a sidearm swing angle where you shoot it around a defender but it's going around a goalie or whether it's kind of a a twister type of swing angle that allows you to jam it near side. Being able to shoot When you don't actually see the net is so powerful most of the time in field lacrosse players get really used to dodging and beating people and really feeling like they have to break ankles and really create separation on people and see the net before they shoot it and canadians really have this habit of being able to shoot the ball before they see it and it's it's an amazing habit it's an important habit of course there's the deception and accuracy in the shooting which really matters. The deception, meaning these goalies, they're not giving up much. And if you tell them where you're shooting, they are absolute masters at reading your shot and reading your body language. Actually all goalies are, field goalies are too, whether you know it or not. Um, It's just that the deceptive element in box has become more important because it's just harder to score. And so it just forces players to learn how to do this. You do not hear about Canadians talking about shooting mechanics. Uh, but you do hear them talking about the different ways of being deceptive, whether it's whether it's um, your chest up or your chin up or leaning one way or your 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 shoulder, you know, your swing angle, hiding your stick, um, all of these, you know, the extra hitches and getting a goalie to step and moving, and dragging, so many different ways to shoot deceptively. And, and by the way. Canadians, you'll almost never see in a box lacrosse practice, Canadians shooting on an empty net, almost never. They shoot on goalies, always. And they shoot a lot. It is unbelievable how much, how much Canadians shoot. And as they get older and older and older, they end up shooting more and more. Part of the reason is because the goalies are so padded up, they're not gonna get beaten up. You can like you hit them, it doesn't matter. And they can just take rapid fire shots. And of course, they get tired and they get really hot. Um, but it's just kind of the culture. That's how, that's how, that's how you shoot. You just shoot. They shoot a lot. And they become incredible at their shooting because of it. Um, and another thing that's really powerful in box across, maybe one of the most powerful things is the shot clock. Why? Because the shot clock, the 30-second shot clock, basically eliminates a lot of the structure that coaches could impose on a game. You you, you might be able to have them run something, but you can't can't run a whole lot of things. You can't slow it down. You can't tell people really what not to do. They're gonna have to shoot the ball. They're gonna have to get to the middle. They're gonna have to jam the ball at times. And they've got all of these shot clock opportunities every single time they play. And because of the lack of structure, you just don't have these coaches trying to win by you know, basically shoving the ball up their butt and doing nothing with it and, and, and stalling, they got to shoot, it's huge. That reduction of structure, I think is one of the most powerful things in box lacrosse. Box lacrosse is also a small sided game. It's five on five plus the goalie. And so therefore everything you do is five on five or less. Think about this. Field across is 10 on 10. It is so complicated. There's so many things you need to be able to do to prepare to play a game. Got rides and clears and even the man up, man down, six on five is so much more complicated than five on four. And what the way this manifests itself is that is that box players end up working on scenarios to a deeper level. They do this, they do fewer scenarios but they take it to a much deeper level rather than in field across where you work on a lot more scenarios and you don't get as deep with it. It's just nonstop two man game, three man game, you know, two on one, three on two, four on three, five on four, bang, that's it. And then one on one, two on two, three on three, four on four, five on five. That's their game. Small sidedness. We all know small sided works small sided is more touches, small sided, the, the, the rosters are smaller. So another really big advantage with um, box across is that there are no long poles. And you may say, well, how's that an advantage? Well, look at Brody Merrill, did he have a problem? He's, he's arguably the best defenseman of all time or second best next to, next to Dave Pachamala, best LSM ever. And he, He barely played with a long pole until he's about 17 years old. And and look at the Canadian national team and look at the PLL chaos. They were, their whole, their defense was mostly Canadians. If you take a good athlete and you, and you, and you have a really, really skilled, good athlete, guess what? They're going to be a good defenseman. And what happens with poles in the U S is that they get relegated to playing poles. They're playing with a stick. That's too long for them that they can't really handle. They might as well just be cones out there. Because the, the coaches are just like, hey, let's go out there and you guys play defense and let us work on our plays. And meanwhile, they don't really learn how to play the game. The game is really about a lot of things, but mostly it's about playing and handling the ball. And so with no long poles, the biggest advantage is every single kid gets to be an option because they don't have a long pole and no kid has a long pole on him. So every kid is an option to dodge. Now, as box across Advances into the junior levels, um, they play offense defense. But up through midget, at least through bantam, I think through midget, which would be like 16 years old, um, they play they play two ways. You, you have three lines, you know, and and everybody has to play offense and defense. It's it's not it's not a deal where you've got to, you know these guys always playing offense and these guys always playing defense. And that's another really important thing for Canadians because they all grow up being able to be pretty good players and later on you'll figure out where to put them and it's pretty amazing too, honestly when you see some of these defensemen in box like reed bowering who just got picked number two overall in the NLL draft behind Jeff T. He was he's a defenseman in box and, and he's a lean goal scorer at, at Drexel as a lefty attackman. this happens all the time. So. The boards and glass, let's talk about that. I mean, I, I referenced this before. A lot of people think that t- tight confines are the boards and glass, and that does factor in a little bit, you know. Um, you know, for example, when you watch like uh some some rag team, you know, we try to kill a penalty if your man down and you have the ball and you're being doubled, there's definite confines there that are tighter than a field in that four versus five situation. But really I think the, um, the big thing about the board and the glass is the ball just stays in bounds. And so you get more loose balls, you get more touches. Um, you can fire a pass and somebody can miss and, and it can hit the boards and come right back to you, which is actually pretty awesome. And it's awesome for younger kids because the ball just doesn't go out of bounds. So now it's just, it's in play. Th- that is a pretty big advantage, um, huge advantage really. So with all of this, boxes of passing, and picking and cutting game and the iq that you learn from this is incredible the the goalies are so big and so good a lot of the a lot of the um strategy is to try to shoot the ball when the goalie's moving across which means that you're swinging the ball constantly and i've referenced this before but there's a guy named jordan mcintosh who plays for the uh pll chrome and the nll swarm uh, he's really into lacrosse analytics. Um, used to work for Huddle, and he talked a lot about the value of swinging the ball and box across. And when they would swing the ball more than two or three times, their scoring percentages would go up. And one of those really big reasons is because the goalies, once they get set, they're pretty darn hard to score on. And um, so, so if you can shoot the ball while the goalie's swinging across, it's huge. You know what's really interesting about Canadians too is that they have this amazing ability to to shoot one-timers and quick sticks, you know, even from distance, you know, even from like, you know, even from like the the dot in the middle of one of the circles. Um, But they also know when that's not there that they start hitching, hitching, hitching. You know, they've got this balance between multiple hitches and dragging and moving goalies and getting them to step and get off balance along with their ability to just one time. The Canadian box across culture is it's interesting too. And uh first of all, it's it's so fun. Um, like I said, one of my biggest regrets is not being able to do that. Watching uh, my son, you know, spend 10 summers with these friends, incredible friends, incredible experiences. Um it's, there's something about being in a dressing room, you know, and and feel in in in, in um, you know, in the summer in, in Field and Club, it's like you know, you just show up with your bag and you go back to your hotel and then you show up again with your bag whereas in box, you're always in the dressing room and that's where that's where everybody (laughs) it's where all the humor happens it's where all the uh where all the emotions happen um and it's uh it's pretty awesome but the other thing that's awesome about canadian box across is that it is less structured than field because we talked about the game itself is with the shot clock but but i feel like canadian coaches do a really good job of not over coaching And frankly, I I didn't really understand the power of this when I first started watching it. Um, I was surprised that there was less sort of specifics in coaching. But now what I realize is that it allows players to figure stuff out on their own. And that's why you see these players with such drastically different styles of play. Um, There's such a big difference between like a a Dane Doby and a Sean Evans and a Callum Crawford um, or a Curtis Dixon or an Austin Stotts, or a Randy Stotts, or a Lyle Thompson, or a Miles Thompson. It's just, they do a lot of similar things, but they have different styles. Um, and, I, and I think so much of it is because these players were allowed to figure stuff out in these small-sided scenarios, taking these simple situations to the nth degree. There's also a lot less practice. There's probably less burnout. One of the hardest things for Canadians, I think, when they um, when they come to play Uh, division one men's lacrosse is they're just like are you kidding me we've got 20 24 practices before we even have a game and we're practicing like six days a week you know in in even in junior a lacrosse you know it's it's there's a couple practices and a couple games a week um you know it's a long season it goes all the way to the end of august and you know start gets started kind of in may really ramps up in june but they, they kind of keep it kind of keep it in, in check in, in a really positive way. Um, it's really special. It, it, if, if you can play box lacrosse, do it. It's a game changer for your game. And if you can play Canadian box lacrosse, do it. And if you want information on how to do that, reach out to me. I can't promise you a spot, but I can tell you how we did it. And I've gotten certainly a lot of contacts. And I'll tell you the Canadian teams are looking for, looking for studs. You know, Sometimes it's hard to get on a team when you're younger just because it's community-based. Um, but as they get into juniors, they want to win. And they're looking for athletes. They're looking for studs. Um, how do you get good in box lacrosse in the U.S.? Well, you can join box leagues. U.S. Boxer has put together some awesome stuff. The Denver Box League that Matt Brown has put together. I think it's called the Colorado Box Lacrosse League. Phenomenal league. Um, Dylan Sheridan did one in, in Cleveland. Uh, Dylan, former uh, head coach at Cleveland State, former... Offensive coordinator at Ohio State and now currently at Western Reserve. Um, He's got an amazing program there in Cleveland. Um, Oliver Marty, one of my uh, former, uh, he wasn't a teammate of mine, teammate of my brothers at Brown. Um, Great goal scorer at Brown. um, Runs one in Connecticut and they're popping up all over the place. And don't be surprised when this becomes actually a breeding ground for um, competition between the Canadian junior lacrosse and the American what becoming junior lacrosse. I don't know how long this is out, but I bet you that's what they're thinking because they want to grow the game. The NLL has done an unbelievable job growing the game, um, which is a, probably a separate topic and a separate podcast, but it's very interesting stuff. Uh, but, but here's my biggest tip for you. The, play pickup lacrosse, play three by, get a small net in a tennis ball, and you will be playing box lacrosse. And you'll probably be playing better box lacrosse than the average box lacrosse that you might sign up for in your town. All of the, the concepts that I have gone through with the small goals and shooting on goalies, maybe not the shot clock so much, but the small sidedness and all the, sh- the short sticks and the passing and picking and all that stuff all happens in these games. I'm actually convinced you can become a world-class box cross player playing these games you get so many reps and actually when you take out off the pads it just cranks up your number of reps in an incredible way because you just simply couldn't play a four-on-four plus a goalie game with full pads for 75 to 90 minutes but you can with no equipment what I found from studying this and watching it and playing this stuff with my JM3 athletes and with my kids is just the level of skill that you see be- becomes kind of like holy shit, I cannot believe what these kids are doing and the IQ and the ball movement and the on ball and off ball. If you listen to the podcast that I did on two man game or well, on off ball, two man game, so much of where I'm learning is from these environments. And there's so many good ones. There's uneven, there's all even, it's phenomenal. So if you wanna learn more about that, go to the backyard curriculum, backyardcurriculum.com. It'll be the best 19 bucks you ever spend, honestly. It is is everything that I know about, um, that I've learned about pick up lacrosse with every game explained in unbelievable highlights as well as a ton of other cool stuff but um yeah you guys I, I really appreciate you taking the time to listening to this um like I said box across is an incredible passion um, and it's an incredible tool and it's an incredible game and um, I hope you guys all dive in and learn from it and I uh, hope you enjoyed this thank you